This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk,、yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by two people today my wonderful co host, who you know and love, Judy Cho, and our dear friend, who we all love, is Keto Mary on Instagram, Mary Roberts. Hello.、Um, we are, hi. We are so excited that she's here today. And it, we're recording this episode early, obviously, but the day that this releases is going to be December 7th. And when this episode is releasing, like maybe if you're listening to it right when it comes out, I am having my skin removal tummy tuck surgery on December 7th, the day this episode comes out.、Um, and Mary, for many reasons, we love Mary, but one of the reasons we wanted to talk to her now is that she actually just had this exact same surgery that I am having. And Judy has questions. I have questions. Like, we need all of her advice and experience. And you are, how many weeks out post op surgery are you right now? Nine weeks today. That's exciting. So, I have so m we want, she's going to give me advice. She's going to talk through, so like, what the procedure and all that kind of stuff was like. And so, while you're listening to this, maybe I will be in the middle of this same procedure. Now, <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. So, Mary, if you could share a little bit about maybe just a little bit about who you are and then what made you decide、yeah. to get this surgery or what surgery、oh. we're even talking about. Okay.、Uh, so, my name is Mary Roberts. I have been living a real food ketogenic lifestyle for almost nine years now. And so, over the nine years,、um, initially I lost over 100 pounds. And then the last couple of years, I've been、um, dealing with you know, the whole perimenopause thing and I gained some weight back, mostly. Uh, subcutaneous fat, like on my midsection. And even at my um, smallest um, during this journey, I still had like the apron flap of skin and, you know, just loose skin and some, and some belly fat I couldn't get rid of.、Um, but finally this year, I decided to 
just finally do it. So I got a tummy tuck, a the muscle repair of the diastasis recti, and then also liposuction on my flanks. And that flanks is like your love handle section. Yes. Yeah. The sides there. Mm-hmm. Cool. And one thing too, I know you also, I want to make it very clear to people, you don't cheat ever. Like you are keto, um, you do like keto foods, right. And maybe the, you know, how strict or how much dairy you're doing, but you are like extremely strict, never cheating nine years. Yes. Um, so I'm what I call, I call it being food sober. So I haven't, um, gone off of plan. Um, it's been, you know, almost nine years since I've had an Oreo or Hershey bar. Like that was like my go-to, right? Yeah. So I've not done any of that and I've not, um, binged or purged. So, um, you know, it, one of the reasons I decided to do this, the surgery, um, was because there's been part of me that has felt like, because I didn't have that look, you know, that I wanted a lot of times it's felt like, you know, my hard work, like, you know, like it wasn't noticeable, even though yeah. I know that's ridiculous. Like when I post transfer transformation pictures, it's clear that I had a transformation, you know, but I could see like what was under there. And so it's always just like been, it's been the bane of my existence, like that, that just that midsection. So I just really wanted to do it and get rid of it. Well, I have that same like apron belly as well, right? That just yeah. piece that like hangs down yeah, when you, you wear your underwear, like... <laughs> waves at you and you like got to dry it off. I said in the other episode, like you got to dry under there when you take a shower and stuff. Yeah. So I'm like the rash and like, yes, horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. So it's been nine years for you though. And you've been consistent and you've been, um, you know, doing this. I know you do fasting as well. So like, Oh, why don't, and you also, you exercise a ton. I want to say that as well. I am lazy. We know this and, but you (laughs) exercise, you do how many times a week are you working out? I mean, it's tons. And so what, Somebody messaged after I posted those pictures, like, you should just try CrossFit or you should try more fasting. Lord. Like, yeah. Tell us about that. Even since I've had the surgery, I people have messaged me, you know, you could have just fasted or you should do, you should have done the fascia blaster or cool sculpting or what. And I'm just like, look, no amount of fasting, yeah, no amount of exercise. Like I've been doing all of that for, you know, eight plus years. I've fasted. I've done extended fast. I fasted for seven days. Okay. Like, and I, and I did, you know, multiple four to six day fasts for a couple of years and it didn't get rid of any of that. So I know how frustrating that is. Like when people say that, I'm like, there's none of that, that I could have done no amount of exercise. And I'm sorry, like doing ab work, it does not change the outside. It just builds your muscles underneath. It's not going to change the, the fat and the skin, the skin that's hanging out there. So yeah, I've heard all of that. And, you know, the only thing that was going to work for me and, and give me the satisfaction and the look that I wanted was the surgery. Most of your weight uh, was in your belly area before you had done keto. Uh, yes, I was apple okay. shaped. And um, I mean, so all in my belly. And then, you know, people ask me all the time if I've had a boob job. No, um, <laughs> they're all mine. Uh, I've had a bra since the third grade. I've always had big boobs. So all my weight has always been like, right, you know, the, my my midsection. Which that's the only part that we're different is a mine all deflated with weight loss, but everything else is very similar. And so that's why I'm, I I have been diligently following along with your journey and I'm very thankful that you've been sharing so openly. And I know people can kind of go back and look at that too, but tell, okay. So 
I'm having surgery. When people are listening to this, tell me what the surgery day, like your day of surgery, walk us through a little bit. What was that like for you? Okay. It was pretty uneventful. Like I was, I will say, so I was really, really nervous because I've never been under in my entire life. I've never had a surgery. So I don't know, you know, my mind was like going places to the point where like, I'm telling everybody I know like that I love them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because I'm like, what if I don't wake up? Like, I was literally like driving myself crazy with that to the point that like I would cry, like thinking about it. And then I'm like, mm. you know, no, 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 don't go there. So the day of surgery was really like uneventful. Like I got there, they, you know, the typical stuff, they put you in the gown, put you in, in the little curtain area. My surgeon, they or the nurses came and gave me an IV and asked me like just basic questions. And my surgeon came and marked me all up and. And the anesthesiologist finally came in and he was, you know, he'd asked me, have I ever had surgery before? I said, no. And so he just told me like, you know, how it works and reassured me. And I was, you know, felt comfortable after that. And then the next thing I remember, you know, he had this big fat syringe, huge syringe full of something, put it in my IV. And I don't even remember them wheeling me out. And the next thing I knew I woke up and it was over. Yeah. And then was there any prep that they required prior to the surgery? I mean, did you have to eat a certain way or did they yeah, recommend I certain just things? Had the fat, like I couldn't have anything except water. Um, uh, I couldn't even have water like after 6am, but you know, no food after me. this typical mm-hmm. thing that they, that they tell you when I, once I woke up in recovery, so they had told me it, that I'd be in there about 90 minutes, but I was actually there for five hours because I had a hard time um, staying a- awake and I, the anesthesia made me really, really nauseous. Yeah. Um, so that was my experience. So I was there, I ended up not being able to leave there till like 10 PM and my surgery was at 1230. Oh, wow. I know I have a history of like being nauseous after anesthesia from like when I've had knee surgery and stuff. So they're, they're already, they have planned to like do the patch behind the ear Yeah, I have and that. stuff like that. That will help. <laughs> Yeah, they did. I had put that on like I had it set an alarm on my phone. I put two hours before the surgery and then they gave me nausea stuff in my IV and I stopped feeling nauseous like by the second day being at home. So talked about that recovery process. I know you had like it's pretty normal to have a rough first like three or four days pain and but yeah. like um what I, I'm curious too like because I know they really talk about how you need a lot of protein so that's good but like what were you able to eat after surgery so I didn't eat for three days first I was nauseous but also they told me I'd probably lose my appetite and I did so I really just had water it took about two weeks before my appetite came back to normal and then I ate eggs and bacon for the first few days that I was eating and then of course ground beef it was mostly eggs and ground beef that I ate the first couple weeks. And then after that, I just returned to my normal, which is mostly carnivore. I like some vegetables, so I th- threw that in. But Do you think that helped with your recovery process by maybe eating less and then just sticking to uh, smaller portions of carnivore? I really do think it has played a role like in my healing and how my incision looks. So I feel like I was not emotionally prepared for recovery. Like they tell you... Oh, it's six weeks. It's rough. You know, you can't work out. But no one ever said anything like about the emotions. And I don't know if it was something hormonal because they remove a lot of fat. And we know that we like carry hormones in our fat. Like was very um, emotional 
I mean, I was happy about it, but then, you know, you're in pain. Like the first 48 hours were horrible. So bad that I was like, oh my God, should I have done this? (laughs) (laughs) But by day three, like it started feeling better and I, I turned a corner. But the first couple of days were much harder than I anticipated. And it was very humbling for me because I also thought I'm like, oh, you know, I've been keto, real food for eight years. I'm going to like rock my way through this like recovery. It's going to be awesome. I thought I was going to have minimal pain and it would be, no, 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 no. Yeah. You've definitely brought some reality to me in that situation is I shouldn't be expecting to be like supercharged through this or just, you know, take it easy. So which parts do you think were the most, so you, I'm doing the same three things as you of the, um, muscle repair, which I'm so excited about. And then the, uh, obviously the tummy tuck, the skin removal, and then the lipo on the sides, what parts of that, like, could you distinguish pain and different discomforts in those three areas? What was that like? Yes. So the incision area recovery pain part from that was initially when you can't stand up straight. So it took me about, I think like day six or seven, I was standing mostly straight, but definitely I was, you know, hunched over because of how they pull it all together. But the, by far the most pain was the muscle repair. And so at week nine, that's still, if I get discomfort, that's, you, you take for granted like how much you use your your core for everything. Getting up out of a chair, you're, yeah. you know, you're using those muscles. So I became very well aware of just how often, you know, I use my abdominal muscles. So that's been like the most painful. Um, and then the liposuction pain, that was really weird. No one described to me like how it felt. Friday, the next day after my surgery, I was trying to get up off the couch and I felt this pull and then like this warm gush. And I thought for sure that I like tore something. I freaked out, like started crying. I'm like, I think I tore something. I'm looking at my, oh my finger. I'm like any minute now blood's going to seep through. Like that's how it felt to me. And then it just kind of dissipated. It feels like this burning feeling and it's normal, but it's very painful. I definitely, <laughs> so initially because I thought, you know, I'm supposed to be a rock star. Initially, I was not taking the full dose of pain meds. They gave me Percocet and muscle relaxers. Like on the second day, I finally decided I'm going to take all the meds. (laughs) And once I did that, like everything was was better. But that would be like my number one advice is don't try to tough it out. Don't be dumb like I was. Just take all the meds to be comfortable. How How far are you out right now of surgery? nine weeks today. So it's amazingly better. I went back to the gym three weeks ago. I'm doing a lot more than I thought I would. So in that respect, I feel I am doing better than a lot of other people have. I went back to the gym three weeks ago. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing almost everything that I was doing before, except for obviously core stuff I'm not doing. And I can't do anything that requires me to lay on my stomach. You know, I'm feeling pretty good at this point and I'm wearing regular clothes. I'm still wearing compression like 12 to 18 hours a day, but that's only because it feels really good. It's, there's something about it that's like comforting because that's the other weird thing is I feel this disconnect from my midsection because it's got numbness. I guess it would be called nerve pain where they pull the two pieces of skin, you know, at the incision line. Uh, It takes up to a year, they said, for those, all those nerves to reconnect. So it's just very strange. Sometimes I'll just be sitting 
And the only way I can describe it is it feels like static shock inside, like under the huh. skin. Like all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, I felt something. <laughs> well, I will say watching you be at the gym and even like the road trip that you did last weekend was um encouraging for me. So Chris's biggest thing about all this, like he and I are taking advantage of a Southwest promotion. Like I earned this like companion pass, but it's not for the whole year. It's only for like January and February. And so we are doing that. And I also have like a zillion hotel points. And so we are going to Hawaii for three days. Um, but we're going like February 1st and my surgery is December 7th. So I'm going to be like just under eight weeks out of surgery. And he's like, we're never going to get to go on this trip. <laughs> like that. I mean, he's ha- whatever he's learning to be happy with for me for the surgery, but he's also like, you know, hoping that I'll feel good enough to still go on that trip. Yeah. And I have like a work trip the week before that. And then there's actually low carb Boca I'm going to is the week before that. So I have like a lot of travel in yeah. January and I was like starting at six weeks, seven weeks and eight weeks. I have trips. And so I was, I keep telling Chris, like, look at Mary. She just took this road. I'll be fine in Hawaii. Like I'll be fine. And so I'm hoping that, you know, the, all the travel I have planned will be okay. So I haven't flown yet. I did the road trip and, you know, I was in the car for 10 hours. And so I would go off and on with my compression. Like each time I stopped for gas, I was either putting the compression back on or taking it off for a little while. I'll be flying on December 1st. So I could let you know about how that goes. A lot of people say you get the swelling and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I'm hoping I'm not really prone to swelling a lot normally. So I'm like during my pregnancies and stuff, I wasn't somebody who like swelled up a lot. And so I'm hoping that that with flying, like wouldn't increase that or it would be, uh, exacerbated. I'm going to wear my compression yeah. on the flight. So I'm hoping that that'll be fine. And I don't pre keto, I would fly and I would get off the plane and my ankles and calves were like tree trunks, <laughs> but that hasn't happened anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mary, I want to go back to what you were saying about the emotional side that you weren't ready. So besides that, maybe you needed more of the pain meds than you wanted to be okay with, yeah. or that you would recover as quickly. Was there anything else in the mindset? Did you struggle with something that um, that we didn't cover? Part of me was emotional because I've just been so freaking happy that it's been done. And I literally cannot stop looking at it. Like I feel ridiculous <laughs> taking pictures of like how I look sitting and there's no like rolls and spillage and all of that. And it's just feels so good. But But then also just being impatient and frustrated. It's funny, everybody, when I give like the update, everybody's like, wow, that went really fast. I'm like, not really, (laughs) you know, generally just being happy and excited, frustrated and impatient at the pain. I stopped taking pain meds at 10 days. So I haven't had any unmanageable pain. It's just like this general weird, the midsection feels weird. Do you think that, so it's interesting for me to think like, this is something I have been focused on or, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but just something that's been consuming my emotional energy for such a long time. Like it's such this very specific thing that I don't like about myself that is hard. And so my fear is a little bit is like, if this is fixed and this is gone, then are you feeling this like overall sense of relief and happiness about your body and the way that you feel and look, or do you feel like you're now obsessing about something new? I actually 
did do some internal work with myself leading up to this because I've never been 100% happy with my body. And I've always, you know, we say things like, well, I'll be happy when, and I have said that, well, you know what? I'll be happy. I'll be content. If I could just get rid of this, you can't spend all this money, get this done and then start picking on other Cause there's definitely things I can right. pick on, but I just said, making a conscious effort not to go there. I'm already really happy with the way it looks. I feel really good in my clothes. My clothes fit better. And I've had a lot of people ask me, oh, you know, well, how much weight did you lose from the surgery? How many inches? And I, my answer is, I don't know. I have purposely not gotten on the scale. I've had plenty of opportunities, you know, because I know myself and my history with the scale. But I know if I get on the scale and it's the same as surgery day or only two pounds less, that it will piss me off. But the reality is it doesn't change how I felt these last nine weeks. I know the surgeon told me he took off about seven pounds. One of the things, you know, when I was choosing a surgeon and when I talked to um, my surgeon, I had said, look, I'm not, I just want this gone. This just bothers me. It keeps me from being fully confident Anything else that I want to change, I could change in the gym. I know I have the ability and the motivation. I can muster up whatever I want to to change something else. I want to like look at myself in the mirror in my jeans and not see that apron showing. Right. I want it to look flat. That's all I'm looking for. I'm not looking to be Jay. I'm not trying to be a new person. I just want to be the best version. Of, I want right. to. I want to look like how I feel, or I just want to be my normal yes. self without this reminder of That's like exactly. It. I, you know, I I think we feel the same way in the sense that like I worked really hard, and I shouldn't be left with this. You know, as a yes reminder of the poor decisions that I made. Yeah, exactly. So just playing devil's advocate with both of you. I know that there will be some people that will say, well, why can't you just embrace who you are at the the healthy point that you are? What if that's the design of where you're supposed to be? Yeah, I've actually had some people message me about that. And I blocked someone because... <laughs> We're know, blocking you, Judy. Yeah. You're blocked. <laughs> she didn't I, I ask it from a heartful place <laughs> like you are. She said it accusingly basically because I'm a coach that I wasn't setting a good example. She just like went off on me about it and I just blocked and didn't respond. But I, I did, I thought about that. And I had, I had the conversation with some friends, how I feel like in a sense it's, it's cheating. So I did struggle with that a, a little bit, but ultimately I thought this is keeping me, like Laura just said, it's keeping me from being the best version of myself. I don't feel like my outside matches all the work that I've put in and how I feel on the inside. I can tuck my shirt in if I want, or like today I'm wearing like leggings with a tank top. I'm not like trying to pull anything down and disguise anything. And so to me, that's what matters most. Yeah, that's definitely what I'm all I'm looking for. I think too, I think part of that is like, this wasn't I don't know. I think I've I've tried really hard to stay in maintenance for a long time before I've made this decision. Like wanting to get this removed is something that I've wanted to do for many years. And I know you're the same, Mary, where like I tried to make sure that I was in the right mental place for this and that I wasn't using this as a weight loss tool. I wasn't saying like, oh, I'm going to get this done and then I won't ever gain my weight back or this is going to be motivation for me to keep it off or something like I had to fix my own self and my own relationship with food first 
before I could do this. And I, I'm in a lot of those same surgery groups and stuff. And I see people saying like, Oh, I'll do this. And then that's going to motivate me to lose weight or they're doing this in lieu of losing the weight or I, you know, losing weight's too hard. So I'm going to do this. And that's, that's my fear for them. I'm not even judging them because it's like, I can't know what they're going through, but my fear for them is that it, they haven't done the work to fix their relationship with food yeah. yet. And I know that has been the hardest part of all of this for me. And I would never want to spend this money and then not have figured that out first. Cause this is like, yeah, I work very hard. I've saved hard. Like you, this is not a cheap thing and it's not something that I take for granted in that sense. But I also yeah. know that like, it would have been very easy for me and it still could be very easy for me to gain all that weight back again and completely waste it. And so I had to fix my insides first before I could do this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's not, it's definitely like not a quick fix. And I had some people online message me that they had it done years ago, but they've since, you know, put on a hundred pounds or whatever. And that's a reality for people because if you don't fix that relationship with food, doesn't matter how many surgeries you get, like you're still going to struggle. It's the same thing of like, oh, I'm going to get rid of all my big clothes because I'm never going to go back to that again. And like, that's going to be motivation. Well, I'm telling you, I've done that a lot and it's not. So like, this is the (laughs) same thing. It's just a way more expensive version of like throwing away your fat pants that you then have to go buy more pants. Like this is just that times a lot of money. And so I think you have to just really be in a solid long-term healthy place mentally before you go do something like this. And I think that's where I'm like convincing myself that the timing is right and that I'm in a good mental place for this. And it's a good time for me physically because I do feel so settled in my relationship with food and in my weight. Yeah, I think that's really important. And there was a couple people who've messaged me, have I changed the way I eat or am I going to stay keto? And I'm like, blown away by the people's mindset. Why in their mind do they think, you know, that at this point would be where I would stop doing what I've been doing for almost nine years. Like it just makes no sense. So yeah, nothing's changed there. Yeah. That was this follow-up question I was going to ask is, do you think there are populations of people or the type of person that maybe should wait on this surgery before even pursuing it? And it sounds like, yes, it's the people that maybe don't haven't fixed or addressed their relationship with food, if they're still turning to food, you can still gain the weight back eventually. And and then what a waste. And I guess working on that and even finding a diet that they can stay consistent in, and that will help them and allow them to then reap the benefits of this procedure. And then it sounds like the biggest thing is the mindset needs to be right before even pursuing this. Yeah, I think if you're anybody who's looking at it as a weight loss thing, that's like the wrong motivation. You know, I think you you should probably have already tackled that. And you know, if you're still deep in your in your eating disorder and struggling with that, this probably wouldn't make you feel much better for very long. Some people like they get addicted to like the procedures. I knew that removing the skin and the liposuction would remove a modest amount of weight. But that wasn't my motivation or anything. I literally just wanted to feel more comfortable in my skin. And you and I both are have been thinner. And this is you and our journeys have been very Mm -hmm. similar. We lost a lot of weight. And then we gained a little bit back. And we look back and realized that like that thinner weight that I was at, I was not healthy, first of all, right, I got to a point where I was thin enough that I wasn't healthy anymore. And then but also my shape didn't change, right? The lipo for me, and I know for to 
if I could speak for you as well, like it's not about the weight loss. It's about attacking an area that you can't lose weight. Like I was a size two and I still had these love handles and like spots that nothing would go away. And so for me, it's about a shape and just kind of, you know, feeling good in my clothes. And it's not about the fact that like, oh, I want to lose four pounds and I'm going to have them lipo out four pounds of fat or whatever it ends up being. But it's really about the fact that even when I was a lot thinner, like I know I can be thinner than I am now. I don't want to be because that wasn't healthy for me. And so that's part of, you know, where things are now. Yeah. Well, my surgeon explained the liposuction really was for just the aesthetic of the rest of the tummy, like, because you, you know, you could tighten the front, but if you don't take care of like what's on the side, it wouldn't look symmetrical and it wouldn't look as nice. I went in and just asked for the tummy tuck and then told me my muscles were separated, which didn't surprise me. So he said I should fix that. And then he said, and we'll do, I'm like, okay, if it's all included in the price, I'll do it. (laughs) So now my biggest curiosity is when you eat, do you notice a difference in like any, did you get like a distended belly before after you would eat? Or did you feel like that separation was causing your belly to protrude after you ate, like say that you went to Brazilian steakhouse and you ate a lot. Did you feel like you had any kind of like protruding belly at all? Um, I can tell when I eat a big meal now, I definitely feel it and can see it now. And you get full faster too, right? Cause there's, there's yes. obviously your stomach didn't change sizes, but that muscle separation is now allowing it. Right. It pushes everything right, together. Exactly. Were there other things that you did um, at post-surgery? So maybe like sauna, for example, I know we talked about that offline, but were there any other tools and levers you used to just, I guess, recuperate faster? I tried to do everything that they said to do, like not overdo things. I laid on the couch. I laid in bed. I bought those wedge pillows. I know you got a recliner, right? Like, so, but I did the, I didn't want to buy a recliner. I just got like the wedge pillows so I could sit in the V you know, the V position. So I did a lot of that just sitting. Um, I started using coconut oil on my incision like week three. Now I just started using like the silicone scar strips and those seem, you know, working pretty well. Good. Do you have, okay. So what, uh, I want to talk about two things. So what was the factors that made you pick your surgeon? Cause I think actually Judy and I didn't address that on the last one. And I got, I've gotten a lot of questions about like, how did you pick your surgeon? And I know how I picked mine, but obviously I don't know if he's any good or not yet. Cause I am, I am assuming, <laughs> I'm, I'm confident, but I haven't had it yet. So how did you go about picking your surgeon? So I met with four different ones and I ended up going with my surgeon because he was the only one who didn't rush me in and out for the free consultation. He actually spent like 45 minutes mm-hmm. with me um, answered all my questions friendly. And then I liked to, you know, I don't know. I just had, like, I also just went with like, I hate to say it, but like, I just had a good feeling uh, about him. Whereas the other ones I just didn't. Okay. So one of the places I went to, um, her like office looked like it belonged in Beverly Hills, but like she rushed me, seemed like a little annoyed by some of my questions. So I knew, you know, before I left there that I wouldn't be choosing her. Were all of the physicians similar in pricing? No, there was some that were like too cheap. The lady that I, the one who with the fancy office was like the most expensive. So my surgeon was like middle of the road. That's what I ended up doing too. I had somebody who was like super cheap and then I did some more research and come to find out like he wasn't board certified. (laughs) So uh, I was kind of skeptical of him anyway. And so I didn't go with that. And then also I had somebody else who was, so that person was like 10,000 and then somebody else 
was um, like $37,000. But that was, again, this person who is really the same. He does these extremely dangerous specific surgeries that most surgeons won't do. And I was like, that is, and he charges like three times as much for it, which makes sense. Um, and so then I, I had somebody that was in the yeah. middle again as well. I think it depends too, like where you are in, in the country. Yeah. Um, I've seen people, people that live in California. No, nobody is like less than $20,000. But in Scottsdale, there's a lot of competition here, you know? Yeah. So that's why you can find people who are super cheap, unfortunately, is because there's just so many, um, people that will do these types of surgeries in Miami too. It's like, you know, place certain places where that are very popular to have this kind of stuff done. I was asking, you know, around like in some groups too. And like people kept recommending going to Mexico or I, that sounds like a nightmare to me. Like, especially after like having had the surgery, I cannot imagine, you know, you can't fly for at least two weeks. So if you go somewhere else, you're stuck there. Like for, I can't imagine like not being in the comfort of my home. And having, you know, all like the familiar things around me. And then you hear these stories about some people who they fly two days later anyway. That just seems crazy to me. Like that's too risky. I just knew I could find a surgeon close to home. Yeah, I think that definitely, I mean, not even that it's not reputable. That's a whole other conversation. Or like, I'm not saying it's not because you can find reputable people other places. But it's the traveling afterwards too. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about traveling six weeks later, let alone a week or two. But I'm probably pushing it where I'm having my surgery on Wednesday and I'm going to try like working from home, like not on camera and stuff, but like on Monday. So, uh, we're going to see how that goes. Well, as long as you're not on camera and you can lay down at a five. Right. So my, that's why I ordered actually one of those medical tables. So I'm going to be camped out in my recliner and I can just slide the table over my recliner and just be typing on my yeah. computer and doing some writing and stuff. So that's kind of my hope, but that's going to be like, you know, four or five days later. Yeah. We'll see. That's you'll, you'll find out, I guess. (laughs) Well, I know if I'm still on pain meds, I might have to push it back a little more. We'll see. Um, okay. So what, any other like pieces of advice? I, I have told you this story, but I'll tell people I like was following along obviously every day. And I've been having some crazy dreams, like getting ready for this surgery. And I actually had a dream that like on the day of my surgery, my surgeon didn't show up. And then Mary was there and she like was like, oh, don't worry. I'll just do your surgery for you. And so she's like, don't worry. I just had it done. And so I had a dream that Mary performed my surgery. And then I like lifted up my shirt and she had cut me like across my belly button. And so some, for some reason, like literally split in the middle of my stomach was this giant scar and all of these stitches. And Mary's like, it's the, what do you, it's fine. It's fine. She's like yelling at me saying like, stop complaining. And then I like woke up in a panic. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I didn't have any dreams before my surgery. I had it after more than once I dreamed that my incision was open and that the apron was still there and was like flapping around. And I was really mad. I was like, (laughs) you didn't even remove it. Like it was so bizarre. It was probably the drugs. (laughs) Yeah. I do hear a lot that oftentimes when, even when people lose weight. So when people lose like a hundred pounds, just from a diet, they sometimes have dreams and I remember specifically when I went carnivore, I, I would have dreams where I'm binging off of cakes mm. and then I would wake up with this, oh my gosh, I ruined everything. And then I'd wake up and realize it was just a dream. And so maybe there's some thing of fear and that anxiety and maybe it 
taps into the limbic system. And maybe so some of those fears we have manifest as dreams. I'm not entirely sure, but it sounds like that. So your worst fears are playing out in these dreams. And I hear a lot of people, especially during the carnivore 75 hard challenge, people would say I lost all this weight. And then I would dream that I failed or that I'm back at my original weight or something. Mm. And it's it's a very common thing that seems to happen when people really alter their lives. Yeah, I had that my first couple of years. I, it's been a very long time since I've had a food dream, but I used to call them food mares because like mm-hmm. I would dream about like eating a whole loaf of French bread in the car, which is something that I used to do, you know, like I would binge on that. And, and then I would wake up and be like, Oh, thank God it's not real. Right. Like, cause I, it just seems so real. So if people are Maybe in the future, they'd want to get this surgery. But right now they're really in, how do I even stay consistent? How do I even start healing my relationship with food? I know you've coached so many people. Um, What are some tips that you you could really leave with the people that are listening to this? I know I've heard you guys talk about it a lot on other episodes, like people under eating. And I think that that occurs a lot because they start this carnivore keto Um, But they go into it with that like diet mentality and then they end up uh, under eating. So I would say first stop thinking of it as a diet. I tell my clients, we're going to focus on food sobriety. Like we could talk about macros later if you want. And we could talk about, you know, the foods and everything to eat. But I don't want people focusing on the scale and calories and all that stuff because when we tend to focus on those things, food sobriety isn't a focus. And then we much more will easily derail, give into that voice of sabotage, where if our goal every day is pursuing food sobriety, and that's first and foremost, I think as a result of pursuing food sobriety, all those other things that we're looking to happen, trickle down, you know, and, and result in that. And then also don't be impatient. We live in this like fast paced society where we can pretty much get anything we want really quick. And so we think that, you know, oh, well, I've been doing carnivore for two weeks. Why haven't I lost 20 pounds? Like all these people online say they did. Be patient. Know that it takes time and and consistency. That would be my two top tips. Don't treat it like a diet and be patient. But what if you have cravings? So let's say I choose food sobriety, but then I have moments where I'm struggling with, I really am craving some sugar. What should I do? Eat some fatty protein. (laughs) I mean, that's what I tell people, like, don't try to white knuckle your way through crave, like, because people will do that. Just don't eat the thing that you're, you know, if you're, if you're craving sugar, and you eat sugar, you're never going to stop craving sugar. But if you eat some nutrient dense food, and aren't worried about how much of it you're eating, you're eventually your body has no choice but to feel satiated. And then yeah, I think from my food journey and my eating disorder, what really helped me was when I let go of, okay, it's a a weight thing. And instead of focusing on that and focusing on I'm trying to heal, I'm trying to heal from my mental illness. That's what really then brought me to start healing. And yes, I had to be okay with some weight gain and stuff. But um, that, that has helped so much. And then just taking it day by day. Yeah. Mary, I think everything that you have to say about food addiction and and the the message that you share and the healing that you've had and the sobriety you have is so important for people. And I think, you know, I really encourage people to go check out um, your Instagram page first and foremost, and then also just some of the groups and just helping women. I mean, anybody really, but especially like, you know, women as they go through the stage of life that you're in of this perimenopause stage um, and are dealing with weight gain and food sobriety. I think that's so important. 
Um, as we wrap up, okay, any final piece of advice for me for, you know, circle back to the surgery stuff? I am in surgery right now, but what can I do to prepare myself or any words of advice or encouragement for me for as I go through it? Take the meds, get all the rest <laughs> you can, keep eating the meat. You know everything to do it. Just stay comfortable. Don't try to rush it. Like that's been the hardest part for me is like trying to wanting the, the healing to just come quick, but it'll it'll teach us patience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I need that for sure. Um, thank you for being here today. Where tell us where can people find you specifically or what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Thanks for having me. Um, Instagram is ketomary71 and my website is ketocoachmary.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing with us today and then also just sharing your journey so openly. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>